do is uh, set before you this passage of Scripture, uh, Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. And what we're going to do is we're going to kind of pick up uh, the, the same theme that we developed last week. You might remember that last week we took a look at our Lord Jesus Christ healing the paralytic man. And the real hub, you remember, that we said of that passage of Scripture wasn't so much the idea that Jesus healed that man. I mean, obviously, that's at the very close to the center. But the real hub of that passage of Scripture was the fact of the declaration that Jesus made that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Everything else around that, uh, that episode, we might say, revolved around that great central fact that Jesus has authority as the Son of Man on earth to forgive sin. Just a wonderful, wonderful thought. And we developed the, the healing of the paralytic around that idea. Uh, there was the paralytic and his friends, and, and the Lord Jesus Christ saw their faith. And you remember what an encouraging thing it was that we said that Jesus sees faith. And I'll say to you this morning what I said last week. Aren't you glad that Jesus sees faith? Aren't you glad that as you're sitting here this morning with faith in your heart toward the Lord Jesus Christ? Is there faith in your heart towards the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. Are you trusting him? You see, Jesus sees that. That's a wonderful thing. And here was the Lord Jesus Christ saying to this man, take up thy bed and walk. You remember, even before he said that, he said to this man, son, thy sins be forgiven. Oh, how the Son of Man, how the Lord Jesus Christ is able to put his finger on the true, the true malady of all humanity. Yes, this man was paralyzed and it was a great affliction to him. But even more, even deeper was the reality of this man's sin. And Jesus says to this man, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Well, this was something of a scandal, wasn't it? The religious leaders at that time, they were taken back by it. This man blasphemes. Who is he that can forgive sins? Only God. And the Lord Jesus Christ then says to the crowd at that time, to the religious leaders especially, that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Son, I say to thee, take up thy bed and walk. And he did. And there was the Lord Jesus Christ validating, vindicating by way of this miracle that everything that he said that he has the authority to do, he is able to do. And so last week we saw the Lord Jesus Christ with the authority to forgive sinners. This week we'll see the Lord Jesus Christ with the desire to receive sinners. Oh, what a friend he is of sinners, is he not? Jesus, what a friend of sinners. Oh, aren't you glad? This should be the theme of your song. This should be the theme of your life, that Jesus Christ loves sinners and he receives them to himself. And what we're going to see this morning is that this too will cause a scandal. Oh, the world scandalized by the Lord Jesus Christ receiving sinners to himself. Well, this brings me to say pretty much what I said last week. Remember last week I said that, in a sense, there, there, there needed to be no development of, a, of the doctrine of the text because the Lord himself, in a sense, gave us the doctrine or gave us the primary principle. And the primary principle was, once again, Jesus, as the Son of Man, has authority on earth to forgive sins. That's what everything revolves around. Well, today, Jesus is going to give us the doctrine again. And the doctrine or the primary point that I'm going to preach from is in verse 17. That the Son of Man has come to call sinners to repentance. This is what the whole sermon revolves around. This is what the whole message of the gospel revolves around. That Jesus Christ has come to call sinners to repentance. We're going to see a number of other things about our, the call of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this will be the outline that we're going to follow. We're going to see, uh, number one, when, when the Lord Jesus Christ calls sinners to repentance, he calls them through preaching. He calls them through the word. We're going to see once again 
And as, as we've seen so many times in these early chapters of Mark, we're going to see our Lord Jesus Christ either preaching or teaching. He, this, was the, this was God's Son sent into the world to preach the kingdom of the gospel. I mean, sorry, I'm sorry, the gospel of the kingdom. And so we're going to see that when he calls sinners, he calls them through preaching or teaching. Secondly, we're going to see that when our Lord Jesus Christ calls sinners, he calls them by name. There was, there was Levi sitting there. Levi, thou son of Alphaeus. Oh, Lord, the Lord Jesus knew that man. And he called him anyway. And the Lord Jesus Christ knows you. And he calls you anyway. You see, he knows you deeper than the person sitting next to you knows you. He knows you deeper than even you or I know ourselves. And he calls us anyway. What a friend of sinners. So that when he calls, he calls by name. He calls through the preaching of the word and he calls by, by name. The third thing we're going to see is that when our Lord Jesus Christ calls, he, he calls us to fellowship. We're going to find our Lord Jesus Christ at the table of fellowship with these sinners. Oh, the religious leaders, the, can I say it this way? The, oh, I got to be careful when I, when I interact with these Pharisees. I, I, I hate to say it. I, I find something of a Pharisaical stripe within myself and I'm not trying to go easy on the Pharisees here. But here are these Pharisees, again, whatever they meant by whatever their intentions were by way of trying to be separate, uh, it, 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 it corrupted them and it became somewhat, uh, uh, somewhat perverted within them to where they couldn't stand to be around anybody who was less holy than they. Well, who, were they to, who would they be able to be around then? Oh, these, these, these men, you see. And so these men are scandalized when the Lord Jesus Christ is enjoying table fellowship with sinners. You see, we're going to be pointed to the Lord's table here today, aren't we? Here's a table that the Lord Jesus Christ has set. And he calls sinners. And so we'll take a look at this. But when he calls sinners, he calls them lastly to repentance. And that's what I want you to see and understand. It is the Lord Jesus Christ calling by name. It is the Lord Jesus Christ calling in the fellowship. But it is the Lord Jesus Christ calling by way of repentance. And so that's what we're going to do here today. We're going to open up this passage of Scripture again. Jesus Christ has come to call sinners to repentance. Well, let's take a look at each of these points then. Well, the first thing I want you to see is that when we consider uh, the Lord Jesus Christ in this passage of Scripture, we see that he's calling sinners to himself. Notice again verse 17. We'll start at verse 17, and then we'll kind of work back and forth in the text. Look at verse 17. When Jesus heard it, he said unto them, They that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. And here's the point. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Once again, this will be the hub around which the whole sermon kind of revolves. And the first thing that we see here is that when the Lord Jesus Christ calls sinners to himself, he does it in the gospel accounts primarily, although not exclusively, primarily through either preaching or teaching. Sometimes he'll engage on a personal level. We'll see him there at the woman at the, with the woman at the well. We'll see him in other places in the gospel dealing one-on-one -on -one with individuals. But however he's doing it, whether one-on-one -on -one or whether in a public setting, he is setting forth the truth of his word. And that's the thing that I want you to see and understand. Look here in verse 15. Uh, look here in verse 13. And he went forth again by the sea, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. It is the Lord Jesus Christ in his office, if I can kind of get you some theological categories here. It is the Lord Jesus Christ in his office as a prophet once again. He's preaching, he's declaring, he's teaching, he's making known the way and the will of God. And this is what the Lord Jesus Christ does when he calls sinners to himself. He calls them through the preaching of the gospel. 
Now, I think already in, ver in chapters 1 and 2, already we've seen either Jesus preaching or teaching. I think, I think this is the fifth time already. We saw it there in verse 2 of Matthew chapter 2. Look at, look at verse 2 of Matthew, uh, I'm sorry, of Mark chapter 2. And straightway there were gathered, uh, many were gathered together insomuch as there was no room to receive him. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto, him, unto them. We emphasized that last week as well. You can go back into the, into the first chapter and you're going to see this idea, this emphasis on Jesus Christ preaching. And what I want you to be aware of and what I want you to understand is this. Is, it when men, is when Jesus Christ calls men and women, boys and girls, to follow him, or to when he calls them to, the, to repentance, he does it through the proclamation of the word. Now this has two points of application that we have to be aware of. Well, maybe three points. And the first I would say to you is this. This is something that we can never lose sight of. While our friendship with sinners is very important, while our interaction with sinners is very important, we must never forget that the word must be proclaimed in some way, shape, or form if a sinner is to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, we often think that if we just live the right way among our friends, they'll kind of get the message. And I would never say to you, don't live the right way among your friends. There's no quicker way to, to, uh, to invalidate your message than by a bad life. I've said in other settings, in other contexts, that in one sense, your life is the platform on which you declare the word of God. If your life is in shambles, you have no platform to declare the word of God. But if you're that person that God has called you to be through grace in Jesus Christ and the influence of the spirit of God uh, within your soul, oh, you see, you build a platform on which to declare. But my friends, understand that platform is used to declare. Don't just stand there mute on the platform. Let your friends and your, and your co-workers know why you are, the, what you are, and the difference that that's made. And so the Word of God has to be in some way uh, set forth. And so it may be in that very informal way, you interacting with your friends. But most often, if I can say it this way, and formally maybe is the better way to say it, formally, what we see is that Jesus Christ calls men and women, boys and girls, He calls sinners to repentance through the preaching of the Word. Can I make an appeal here? My brothers and sisters, do you know how important preaching is to your soul? Do you know how much you and I need the word of God preached? Yes, it is true that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How shall they hear unless a preacher be sent? You see, I've said, I said to a fellow, to a friend of mine one time, uh, I said, if, there only, if, if, if there's only two people left on this world, one of them better be a preacher because, because sinners need to hear preaching and the saints of God need to hear it as well. And so again, I say to you, I appeal to you, all my friends, my, my brothers and sisters in Christ, you need the preaching of the word. Oh, let it be a balm to your soul. Let it, be, let it be that which again revitalizes you in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here is Jesus Christ calling sinners to himself again through preaching. Again, he taught them. Here again, as I said before, the Lord Jesus Christ either preaching or teaching. It's a wonderful thing to see this in the scripture. So, as I said before, when the Lord Jesus Christ calls sinners to repentance, he does it most often through either preaching or teaching. And sometimes he'll do it through that one-on-one -on -one method. And again, sometimes we have the opportunity to use all three of those methods as well. So again, that's the first point that I want you to see here. Now again, this idea that Jesus is, is calling uh, sinners to himself through repentance is something that the Apostle Paul thought very, very much of, did he not? 
when he said this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. What is it about the preaching of the gospel? And what is it about the work of the Spirit of God within the soul that when the sinner is confronted with his or her sin and they are under the, the operation of the Spirit of God, they never take offense at being called a sinner. As a matter of fact, they're humbled under the truth of it. They never get defensive. The gospel breaks that down. The Spirit of God, if I can put it this way, penetrates through whatever defenses are there. And what we're going to see here is this, is even when, our, even when it's going to be very interesting, even when the, the, the Pharisees take issue with Jesus, and, he says, and they say to him, you're eating with sinners. He never says to them, why are you calling these people sinners? He never justifies their sin. They're sinners in need of salvation. And he could say to the Pharisees, if you had the proper spiritual eyesight, you would see that you're sinners as well. And so again, the point that I'm trying to make here is this, is that the gospel, when it is rightly preached and, 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 and rightly being received, it never takes offense with being called a sinner. We're humbled by our sin, yes. We're brought low by our sin, yes. We are, our sin hurts, yes. But we never become defensive of it. You see, if you, if you, become, if you or I become defensive of our sin... It's a sure sign that the, that the work of repentance is not fully operating within our heart or our soul. And so here is, again, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ calling sinners to repentance by way of preaching and teaching. But the next thing I want you to see here is that not only does the Lord Jesus Christ uh, call sinners uh, to repentance by way of preaching and teaching, I want you to see here, secondly, that the Lord Jesus Christ calls sinners by name. I love this. I really do. Here is our Lord seeing Matthew. There he is preaching. He's preaching to the multitude, but he doesn't lose sight of the individual. Well, that's our Jesus, isn't it? He's saving the world, yes, but he hasn't forgot about you. There he is making his, making his, uh, his gospel known far and wide, but there's that one sinner somewhere that he has to go find. Aren't you glad that that one sinner somewhere one day was you? He found you. Have you heard his call? And again, what he says, look at what he says here in our passage in front of us here. In verse, uh, in verse 14, and as, he and as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. And he arose and he followed him. Well, we have to, we are now introduced to this man, Levi. It's interesting, he's, uh, Levi here in the Gospel of, uh, of Mark, uh, most uh, uh, understand that uh, the, this name Levi was probably his name before he came to faith in Christ. And when he came to faith in Christ, he was given a new name. Some of you might remember that old song. There's a new name written down in glory. Remember that? There's a new name written down in glory and, and it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. So again, what we see here is that Levi, again, comes to hears this call of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we see here is that Levi is engaged in his daily business. By way, of his, by way of his very business, this man was termed a sinner. And so what we're seeing here is the reality that not only was Levi a sinner by, by nature, you, know, you understand that, right? we're all sinners by nature, you understand that, I hope. I hope you know and understand that there is this inward inclination in your soul to work away from the purposes of God and not towards the purposes of God. You may think I'm being too harsh. Maybe I'll make it a little easier to, under, to kind of grasp. 
There is, a, there, is a, there is an impulse in your soul to seek self rather than to seek God. Maybe, not, maybe it doesn't sound as offensive now, but the, the, the element is true. You and I, by nature, inclined away from the things of God. And so here was Levi. He was a man who was not only a, man, who, who was not only a sinner by nature, here was a man who was a sinner by choice. He was a sinner by choice in the things that he did. Which one of us have not sinned by choice? It would be one thing if we just talked about the fact, well, you know, I never sinned, but man, I'm just, I'm, I'm just, you're beset by this nature. None of us can say that. Remember what Solomon says when, when he's dedicating the temple for there is none, there's no one that has not sinned. The scriptures make this clear repeatedly. That all of sin then comes short of the glory of God. And that idea is the act of, is our active participation in sin. It's not only that we've sinned in Adam, so to speak, but we've sinned by way of our own personal choice. So this man was a sinner by nature. He was a sinner by choice. But he was a sinner in the eyes of the people of Jerusalem at that time, or the eyes, in the eyes of Israel. He was a sinner by profession. Here was a man whose very occupation set him off as a sinner. Oh, what a thing. And I have to say this, there are, and see this is, I hope this isn't my pharisaical stripe coming out. I mean this sincerely, and I don't mean it to be. But you know that there are some individuals who are sinners by profession? There are. I hate to say it. There are some things that by way of profession are great, greatly offensive to God. And I don't want to be pharisaical, I mean it. It's, it's something that I have to be on my guard against. But we see that there are many like Matthew, like Levi, who are sinners by birth, sinners by choice, and sinners by profession. And Jesus knew all this about this man. He knew all this. And he called him anyway. And I love the way he calls him. Levi, thou son of Alphaeus. As I was thinking of this, I thought to myself, Anthony, Thou son of Michael and Laura, Jesus Christ calls you. Jory, thou mother of Hillary, Jesus Christ calls you. I can go through the congregation and say the same thing. Jesus Christ calls you by name. He knows your background. He knows your sin. He calls you to repentance. Oh, Jesus Christ, this Savior, this friend of sinners, aren't you glad? And so here again in this passage of Scripture, what we see is we see Jesus Christ calling sinners by name. Well, I guess we need to get a little bit of detail as to, as to why uh, Levi was uh, such, a, uh, such a despised person in society. Uh, you might know uh, uh, something about tax collectors in the day in which Jesus lived. Uh, the tax collectors in, in Jesus' day it was a very interesting kind of operation. Uh, really, uh, it's, 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 when you look at it, it was kind of ingenious in a way. Uh, Rome had required that taxes be paid. And so what Rome did in order to have their taxes be paid is that they would farm out the responsibility for taxation in various areas. And then those who had, the, uh, say, you, let's, let's use the day and age in which we live, say that somebody had the, uh, had the, uh, the responsibility or the, or the privilege uh, or the license that sounds a little better in our day, doesn't it? The license to collect taxes in the New England area. Well, what he would do then is he would farm out uh, various places in New England and, 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 and somebody would be responsible for this and somebody responsible for that. And then that person would farm it out even farther. And what was required was essentially this. Rome had X amount of 
coinage that had to come in, dollars, whatever they called, lira, whatever, had the X amount of money that had to come in, and then anything that was collected over and above that was a surplus that the tax collector could keep. And what would happen invariably would be this. The tax collector would collect everything that was necessary, send it off to Rome, and then anything over and above was everything that he would be able to pocket. Now, money had to be made at every level. And so at every level, there was this kind of, this, this invasive taxation that would go on. Now, what made the tax collectors particularly uh, 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 odious uh, to, the, to the people of Jesus' day in, in Jerusalem, I mean, I'm sorry, in, uh, in, in Israel, was that the idea of taxation represented essentially this one thing, that, that, that Israel was now under Gentile domination. And they were no longer a free people. And the two ways that, 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 that Rome exerted its, uh, its authority was essentially by way of the, the presence of Roman troops and the reality of Roman taxes. And so those who were collecting taxes were seen as something of traitors to their own country. Here they were taking money from the people of God, from God's people, and giving it, giving it to a, a, a pagan authority. And so there was this idea that they were not only traitors to the nation, but they were also, again, traitors to God himself because they were recognizing an authority greater than God and were profiting by it. Oh, these men were hated, you see. They were despised. Again, this is why other, what we so oftentimes see in the scripture, publicans or tax collectors and sinners that went hand in hand. And so here is this man, Levi, this man who was despised, this man who was hated in society, but this man who Jesus calls by name. Oh, as I said before, aren't you glad that Jesus calls sinners by name? And when he calls sinners by name, the next thing I want you to see is this, that he calls sinners by name in order to have fellowship with them. I have to say that this is an amazing thing. We might think in our mind of maybe a, a very uh, a, 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 a great nobleman and, and somebody of, of, of great ability uh, going to do something to, to help a people out. And uh, maybe he exerted a great, uh, great strength and at a great cost he was able to, to, to free a people that were under oppression. And while he had freed them from oppression, he really would not want anything to do with them on a personal level. Well, that's not your savior. You see, your Savior not only does, has done the great work of redeeming you, he now calls you in the fellowship with himself. And we see this in the text as well. Notice what we have here in verse, uh, in verse 15. In verses 15 and following, actually, for, uh, verses 15 and 16. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? Well, what I want you to see and what I want you to understand is that our Lord Jesus Christ, when he calls sinners... And when he calls them by way of repentance, and when he calls them by way of their name, he calls them in the fellowship with himself. This is a wonderful picture of our dear Savior. Amen. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ desires to have fellowship with you. And there's a sense in which we can make a, a, very, a very appropriate and a straight line to our communion table this morning. Here is the Lord Jesus Christ calling repentant and redeemed sinners to this table of fellowship. Here is the Lord Jesus Christ, again, not ashamed to be in fellowship with those who the world rejects as outcasts and who the world rejects by, 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 uh, by, by a number of different designations. But while they may be rejected by the world, they are accepted by Jesus Christ 
through this great grace of repentance. We'll develop repentance here shortly, but I just want to stick to this idea now of Jesus Christ, again, engaging sinners around the table. The idea of table fellowship, if I can use that term, was was very significant in the mind of Jesus and in the mind of the first century world. Uh, to have to have a dinner with somebody, to have this kind of uh, table fellowship, it indicated a number of things. It indicated uh, again something of a of a of an affinity of of, of purpose, uh, uh, something I, uh, of the idea of, of a unity, uh, something uh, of the idea of a trust and and a, and, a, and a time together as friends. We do the same thing in our day as well. I mean, oftentimes we open up our our dinners personally and and here at the church to all and any. But there is something to be said by way of what a, what a family meal means and by way of the intimacy of that family meal. And the idea of this unity and the idea of this intimacy and the idea of this fellowship that goes on is part of the reason why it was always such a shocking thing when somebody who, who you had shared table fellowship with would then either betray you or turn their back on you. And that's why it is so significant when we read in the book of Psalms, I believe it's Psalm 41, I have it right here, Psalm 41, verse 9, when we read this spoken prophetically of the Lord Jesus Christ and his betrayal by Judas, we read this, Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. This is really a prophetic reference to the betrayal of Jesus Christ by Judas. There's something of a shock here. Notice again, yea, my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat, which did eat of my bread. There's this idea of this table fellowship. And I want you to see and understand that this is what Jesus Christ calls you to. He calls you to this fellowship at the table. Now we're going to see, once again, that this is all uh, kind of hinging on, on the reality of repentance. But again, as I said, I want you to see the idea of our Lord's desire to have this fellowship with his, with his people. Now it's very interesting that when we look at uh, here again in verse 15, and it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in his house, the reference to his house is obviously a reference to Matthew's house. You know, Luke treats this same episode in his gospel. And in Luke chapter 5, verse 29, uh, we read this, And Levi made him a great feast in his own house, and there was a great company of publicans and others that sat down with him. I want you to see a couple things about this feast that Levi or Matthew makes. Number one, it was a feast that Levi made in order to show that he was now following Jesus Christ. There was a sense in which he was making a public declaration of the faith that he now professed. He was making sure that all of his friends knew about this one who cared so much for him. He was making sure that all of his friends were aware that this one who calls was a friend of sinners. He was making sure that all knew, again, that Jesus Christ is that one who not only saves sinners, but desires them in his fellowship. But what I want you to see from the text here in verse 29 is especially this. Matthew made him a meal. And the word for meal is very interesting because it's literally the word a banquet. This was no small dinner party. This was not some afternoon lunch. And it's kind of interesting, the picture that's used here, it's the classic picture of, of individuals who are there who are reclining around a table. And anytime you see this idea of reclining around the table, it's more than just a very quick meal. It's a time of, it's a feast. It's a time to, to enjoy one another. And that's what's happening here. 
And Matthew is doing this again for the Lord Jesus Christ. He is marking his, his separation from the world and is now his union with the Lord Jesus Christ by way of this meal. But at this meal, Jesus, I'm sorry, Matthew has his friends, these publicans and sinners. The whole group was there. The whole motley crew was at that, was at that dinner. Publicans and sinners are there. And it's very interesting to see that, that not only were these publicans and sinners there enjoying the meal, there were also on the outside the Pharisees and the scribes observing. Did you notice that in verse 16? And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, okay, so there we have the, the scribes and the Pharisees observing this. Now, again, as we had to do a little bit of work to, to give you some information on the tax collector, we have to do a little bit of work to give you some information on the scribes and the Pharisees. The Pharisees, again, you're probably familiar with this, were a class, a group of, of Jewish individuals that were very much committed to, 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 to sanctity, to separateness. The word Pharisee kind of means to be separate. And there's some question as to whether the Pharisee understood this separation to be of Israel from the rest of the world or to be on an individual level of individual Jews from the rest of society because society was sinful. And what's interesting about the, the whole concept of, of the Pharisees and, and what they mean by separation is that you and I as believing Christians should know and understand that separation is a vital part of Christian living. And while we must never be pharisaical, there is a sense in which we are to be separate from the world. Many of you know that passage of Scripture where we are called to be, uh, not, uh, to, to, to be in the world, but not of the world. Worldliness is not to mark us. And while that is a right and proper orientation of the redeemed soul, it can very easily turn into this kind of sanctimoniousness that is very offensive to be around. And, and again, I hope you don't mind me saying, I hope I'm not offending you in a sense. I have to admit, I, there, there's a Pharisaic stripe in me. I hope you don't, again, I'm not asking to forgive me, I'm not asking to make allowance for that. You, some of you know me well enough. I, ex I expect that your Christian life is going to look like something. I don't think I'm wrong in that. I expect that when you come to faith in Christ that your walk will, will manifest that. I, I expect that, that, that your, your, your faith is, is, is not going to be limited to mere legalism but that that legalism is going to kind of give way to a liberty that you have in Christ. But I hope that that liberty that you have in Christ is, 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 is ruled by, by love for Jesus Christ. And so stop and think of the three. Again, legalism, no. Liberty, yes. But love overall. And so my, I call you to, to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, not from a legalistic perspective, I call you to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ by way of the liberty that he gives you to do so. And in your liberty of soul, I call you to look with love on the Lord Jesus Christ and let your love for the Lord Jesus Christ, informed by the word of God and empowered by the spirit of God, 
Let that direct you into what your Christian living is all about. But these Pharisees, oh, they were a challenge. They were a thorn in the side of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here were these men. It's interesting. The scripture says the scribes and the Pharisees. We might put it like this. It's kind of interesting. The, uh, the, the, the Pharisees were, were just, uh, we might say, the, the Pharisaism, the idea of this separateness, would be, would be, could be general to, to a population or to a group of people. Well, the scribes would be something of the official class within the Pharisees. Now, the Sadducees were also uh, scribes as well, or scribes were also Sadducees as well. And it's kind of interesting to see this, but again, the scribes represent something of a more official uh, level of, of, of expertise in the law uh, when it comes to, uh, to Pharisaism. <clears throat> but, the Lord Jesus, but the Lord Jesus Christ, again, is observed by uh, the Pharisees, and in one sense, he's indicted by them. And what I want you to notice here is something very, very important. Because they criticize him, not so much to his face right now, they'll do this at other times, but notice what they do. Look again at the passage of Scripture here in verse 16. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, listen, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? Now, we rightly oftentimes get to the idea that they're taking issue with Jesus for eating with publicans and sinners. That's not what I want you to focus on right now. What I want you to focus on is the, is the methodology of the, of the scribes and the Pharisees, and primarily the methodology of Satan. The Pharisees are attempting to embarrass the followers of Jesus Christ from following after him. That's your, that's your rabbi? That's the one you follow? Who doesn't even have enough sense to stay away from sinners? That's the one? And what I want you to be aware of is this. <clears throat> this is a very successful tactic of Satan. Satan will oftentimes try to embarrass you by way of your allegiance to Jesus Christ. Amen. He will make you outcast because of your allegiance to Jesus Christ. He will cause you to be belittled because of your allegiance to Jesus Christ. And this is why the Lord Jesus Christ says... <clears throat> This is why the Lord Jesus Christ uh, says again, for, excuse me, <clears throat> for whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of himself the Son of Man be ashamed. You see, this idea that the enemy will try to work within you something of a shame for Christ. And the way these self-righteous sinners did was to say, look at your master. He eats with sinners. He eats with the worst of the worst. You remember what the one Pharisee said when, when, uh, when Mary came and anointed his feet uh, with the, with the, with the spiker. If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind, of a woman, what kind of a woman this was. And you see, there is this idea. And let me tell you this. When it's all said and done, and I hate to be, and I hate to be maybe so forceful here. Everyone, if you please listen to me. When it's all said and done, Satan intends to do one thing. To shake you off of faith in Jesus Christ. And whether he can do it by way of embarrassing you, whether he can do it by way of drawing you into sin, whether he can do it by way of outward and, and, and open persecution, when it's all said and done, that's what his attempt is to do, to shake you off of faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh, but there's a work of the Spirit of God that goes deep within the soul. Amen. And there is a work of the Spirit of God that keeps the sinner to where, like Paul, you and I can say, I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. You see, Jesus holds you in his hand and no one can pluck you, no, no one can pluck you out of his hand. Oh, but the, but the attempt will be there, let me tell you. 
And sometimes it'll just be the subtle, through the subtle embarrassment, the shame. You see, again, this is what, the, this is what these uh, Pharisees are trying to do here. They're not attacking Jesus right now. They're trying to undermine uh, his, uh, his, uh, his, his, his uh, can I say, attractiveness. They're trying to undermine uh, his call upon their life. This man eateth with sinners. You know better than that. What kind of a rabbi would do that? And you see, there's challenges here. And we'll develop them here in, in a minute when we get to our applications. But here's the Lord Jesus Christ desiring uh, to, uh, desiring to have these, uh, desiring to have uh, sinners in the fellowship with him. You know the, the idea of our Lord eating with sinners. Um, it's 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 in, it's interesting that we can we can we can we can trace this thread out, uh, not only by way of the desire of our Lord Jesus Christ to have this fellowship with sinners, but also by way of the difficulty in 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 the church finally getting that. You remember in, in, in the book of Acts and then in Galatians when Peter was scandalized for eating with the Gentiles? And you remember when Peter was in the presence of other Jewish believers who really weren't clear on everything by way of the liberty of the gospel, what it was all about? That Peter was kind of shying away from eating with the Gentiles. This idea of eating and this idea of fellowship it's very interesting to see how this works out. But here again, our Lord desiring this kind of fellowship. So our Lord Jesus Christ, as I said before, when he calls, he calls through preaching. When he calls, he calls by name. When he calls, he calls in the fellowship. But again, I want to come back to the primary point. Verse 17, when Jesus heard it, he said unto them, what they that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I want you to see something here. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ saw his disciples under the assault of the scribes and the Pharisees. And what does he do? He comes to protect them. He comes to the raid. And every time you may feel your faith shaken, I'm saying to you, Jesus Christ will come to your aid. Jesus Christ will keep you. The word of God will cement this in your thinking. And so there's the Lord Jesus Christ and he comes. And what he does is he engages the uh, Pharisees by way of this uh, proverbial manner. He says to them again, uh, something, a proverb that was well known. Listen, (laughs) the the, the physician, what does he do? If he's going to heal the sick, he has to be with the sick. And that's exactly what he's saying. And then he says this kind of ironic statement. And he says this, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And what's ironic about it is this. Oh, you Pharisees, you hear me. I didn't come to call you righteous. You don't need any of this. But sinners do. And it's interesting that this is understood in at least two ways. Sometimes people look at this and commentators and they'll say, well, is Jesus, you know, saying that, uh, you know, how are we to understand this? Is he saying that there is a class of people who need no repentance? Well, obviously not. He's not saying that. And what he's doing really is, is he is giving this kind of biting irony uh, to the uh, Pharisees at this point. And he is letting them know that while you think you are righteous and have no need of repentance, you must understand you are in great need of repentance. But listen to this. I've come to call sinners to repentance. And what he says to every one of us, Pharisees, as well as anybody else, if you understand your need for a Savior, Jesus Christ will save. But how does he save? And I have to emphasize this now, brothers and sisters. How does he save? He saves by the call to repentance. Oh, this thing of repentance, what is it? 
Well, fundamentally it is this. It is a whole-souled change of mind and life that leaves off sin and takes up Christ. That's what repentance is. It's, I can be more technical in my definition, and maybe I should be. But, we're, but what I want to do is I want to get to what I believe is the illustration of repentance here. Again, we can get into the whole idea of repentance, metanoia. The, the word means to change the mind. It's not only a change of the mind, it's a change that, the, that, that issues in a change of life. Uh, one, of the great, one of the best illustrations of, uh, of repentance is uh, 1 Thessalonians 1.9. You turn from idols to serve the living and true God. It's a turning away from something and a turning to. That's what repentance is. But if we could look at this passage of Scripture, I think we can see something of a picture of repentance, what it looks like in practice. How, what does it look like? Well, you see, look here again in verse 14. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. Now look at this. And he arose and followed him. In a sense, that's the picture of repentance. It's not a definition of repentance. Much needs to be said. Much needs to be unfolded by way of what repentance is and what it is not. We need to emphasize the fact that too many, too many in our day don't stress repentance in the preaching of the gospel. This is fatal. But when it's all said and done, that's what it looks like. Look again at verse 16. And when the scribes and the Pharisees, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, verse 15. And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat at his house, many publicans and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. Now again, it's not a definition of repentance. But it's what repentance looks like in life and so I can get why I can get technical and and ask you these questions by way of the definition of what repentance is when it's all said and done I come back to the passage of scripture have you left all and followed Christ you see this is what repentance is and so my friends my brothers and sisters I set before you a savior who calls sinners I set before you a Savior who loves to have fellowship with repenting sinners. I set before you a Savior who will sup with you today around his table should you come to him in faith and repentance. And so I leave you with this then. Will you come to this one who calls you? This one who calls by name. This one who calls in spite of what you may have been or, or, or are this one who desires to have fellowship with you, will you come to him in faith? You might say, well, what is faith? Well, in a sense, it looks very much like repentance here. It's this leaving off and following Jesus. It's this trusting Jesus to do for you what you can't do for yourself. There's a reason why Jesus comes as the great physician of the soul. Can I say it this way? Each and every one of us are plagued with an illness that is fatal unless the great physician heal and he heals through with, by, by means of calling sinners to repentance. Or will you repent and will you believe? Well, when it comes to applying this passage of Scripture, how do we do it? Well, I think we can see two categories of, of, of application here. Number one, there's an inward application and there's an outward application. Inwardly, I think the application is this. Let us make sure that we see ourselves as the very types of sinners that Jesus is calling. Sinners who are sinners by birth, Sinners who are sinners by choice, and maybe some sinners by sinners by profession. I don't think that's any of you here, but in case it is, you need to hear that. Secondly, let me say this and understand that, please understand what this repentance looks like. It's a, it's, it, it, it issues forth in a following of Christ. But outwardly, how do we 
how do we apply this passage of Scripture? Well, this is where I could probably spend more time, but I'm not going to. How do we apply this outwardly? You see, in this passage of Scripture, we have to make sure not only are we hearing the word of Christ as Matthew heard it, but we also have to make sure that we are not, that we are not acting like the Pharisees were acting. You see, my brothers and sisters, many of us have years and years in the church of Jesus Christ, do we not? Many of us have a, have a, a code of, of personal conduct that's informed by the word of God. Many of us are very careful about what we say, and, and some of you, and rightly so, some of you, some of us, we even take care of what we think. We say to ourselves, that thought has no business being in my mind. Amen. I, have no th- I, have no, I have no business going there or doing that. Mm-hmm. And we're doing that. Mm-hmm. But if that leads us to a Pharisaism, if that leads us to a critical attitude toward all that we come in contact with, oh, how odious it will be. So can we bring together, not legalism, and yes, liberty, but liberty, liberty informed by love for Jesus Christ. And can we then, from that love, go out and say to sinners far and wide, whoever they may be, Jesus Christ receives sinners to himself. Come, come to the Savior who is appealing to you now. Through my voice, let us pray. Our Father.